0: Hey everyone, this is Nick. Dan and I wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer before this episode, because we usually try to talk about things in a way that will feel comfortable for believing members to hear. But in this episode, as we talked with our guest about the LDS church and race, we got into some discussions that might feel uncomfortable for a believing member to hear. We hope that you'll stick around to listen to it, because we think that our our episode in this discussion was really great and it's really important to hear. But we just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up so that you know that it's coming. Thanks, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Post-Mormon at the Movies. We're talking about the movie Get Out today by Jordan Peele.
1: That's right. We wanted to do something special for Black History Month, and we thought this would be a good film to talk about, but we thought it would be weird to have two white guys just talking about, (laughs) you know, the black experience in this movie and maybe within the context of the LDS Church. So we're excited to announce that we have a guest host on today Um, our guest host is gonna be Robert he's my brother-in-law and he like us is a post-mormon or you know former member of the church and so Robert welcome we're glad to have you
2: Hello, I'm glad to be here I'm so excited I'm like your number one fan awesome (laughs) Awesome. <laughs> I yeah. love listening to your guys' show.
1: Okay. <laughs> and listener of the show. So welcome to Post-Mormon at the Movies. Anything you want to say about yourself or anything?
2: Like Dan said, we're brother-in-laws. I just consider us brothers, you know? Dan's at
1: Yeah.
2: I know. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I am married with two kids. And I am a huge movie buff. I love all types of movies. Uh, recently watching this one This is going to be a fun conversation Because I'm always curious why people think of this movie uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It definitely scared me the second time Watching it so. Yeah. <laughs> but no this. I think this would be a fun conversation uh, If you ever want to know more about me uh, I'm on Facebook And Twitter And Instagram I'm the true Star Lord on Instagram And on Twitter I am Robert Martin, Robert Quincy Martin, so. Nice. Yes. If you ever have questions, just message me.
0: Awesome. Um, so let's start off just talking about Get Out as a movie. What did, <laughs> what did you guys think? When, I guess, when did you guys see it for the first time?
1: I saw it after it had already been released, like on DVD. I missed it coming out in theaters.
0: Yeah. But it was soon thereafter. Out, like, Dan, what did you hear about this movie before? seeing? I,
1: I heard it was really good. Like, I knew about Key and Peele, you know, they had their comedy show. Um, and so, you know, I was familiar with that. And I was excited to hear that, you know, coming from the crea- one of the creators of that.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew Jordan Peele mostly from Key and Peele and loved a lot of their sketches. And when I heard that he was directing a horror, a horror movie, I was like, that's not going to work. <laughs> <Like> he's <laughs> he's, but he's, a comedy guy. Just because he's a comedy guy. And, and, but man, watching, like looking at this movie and then looking at Key and Peele and their sketches, like they just are experts at genre. And <laughs> like their show is so, that, that sketch show is so good at picking up genre and like twisting it on its ear. And, and so obviously in hindsight, it's like he was primed for making, he can probably do any genre, but especially could do this horror film really, really well.
1: Yeah, Robert, what were your first reactions when you heard about it, and kind of leading <laughs> up and seeing it the first time?
2: Yeah, so I knew him from Mad TV when I was like a kid. So nice. I was like, the "Guy from Mad TV <laughs> and and Bill is doing a horror movie." But yeah, the first time I saw the movie was opening weekend. I took Melissa. We went to go see it and we were just dating at the time. We weren't even married.
0: Mm-hmm. So it
2: was quite an experience to watch it with Melissa next to me because one, it was terrifying. It scared me. But two, I was excited because I was like, so you're telling me it's going to be a horror movie where the black character's the lead. So my hopes are that there's a 90% chance he'll survive. The right. And, and I was, I was going to mention that because that's,
1: like if if people don't know, that's kind of like unfortunately a stereotype that exists within horror movies, right? Is yeah, they the black always guys. The always the first, to first one. That, yeah. yeah, the first one to die.
2: Yeah, so. either they're the first, or they make it to the bitter end, and they it doesn't work out. <laughs> right. But so yeah, I was excited because I was like, well, there are multiple black people in this movie, so we know at least one has to make it. Right. So yeah, yeah I was pretty stoked. But when we watched it, it was a very interesting experience. Because watching Melissa, she got to see some of the stuff I do go through on a and, normal and basis. For, um,
1: just for context, your wife, Melissa, who you were dating at the time, she is white.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, my wife's white. So she found it very interesting. And we'll get more into that like as we talk about the movie. Because uh-huh. there are times like, she would turn to me during the movie and be like, has that happened to you? <laughs> or have you ever felt this way? Like, yeah. One pivotal scene is when they're interacting with a cop. Mm -hmm. that scene i was like oh i've been there (laughs) with melissa (laughs) so so i was like this is a very fascinating movie to just watch and how you know jordan peele really picked up on these nuances because a lot of people might not realize jordan peele's wife is white so it's kind of funny because a lot of my black friends when the movie came out they were like all oh, this movie's about not dating white women if you're a black man, and I was like, ah, mm-hmm. it's not more than that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even think that's the main focus. Yeah, maybe like, if that's the case, he would have left his wife after he made the movie.
0: <laughs> the the main character's friend, who's the TSA agent, Rod. <laughs> yeah, he probably would come away from this movie with that impression.
2: <laughs> and that's what it is funny because that's how some people take it. Some some of my friends took it as, oh, if you date a white woman. This could be the outcome. Yeah. And then some people took it as, you know, this is what it looks like when, you know, people, you think you can trust them and then you find out you can't, you know. right? It, it, it's fascinating how everybody, if you really, any movie, everybody can go into and walk away with something different. But this one was fun to just see how many people walked away with something different.
1: I haven't ever watched it or I don't think I've even discussed it with someone who's black. And so... <laughs> Like I'm I'm excited to hear from you too. Um I know you oh, told yeah. us that you're excited to hear our perspectives, you know, being wide about the movie, but you know oh, yeah,
2: especially two white males, because my wife has she had so much good insight yesterday when we rewatched it. It was pretty uh-huh. funny in the morning. She just kept saying, like, Oh, I never caught this and this relates to the church like this and
0: when you watch this movie a second time, knowing where it goes, there's so many so little- much to pick up on that are like they play two ways and so like that cop scene that you're mentioning like the first time around you're thinking oh it's just it's just about race like she's just trying to protect him because she thinks the cop's racist and the second time you watch it you realize oh no she's trying to make sure there's no paper trail that they were together exactly that's
2: what i said she's just protecting her merchandise (laughs) and so for us
0: like the first time we're like you know Jordan Peele knows the audience that this movie's for. Like, he knows that if if white people are coming to see this movie, they're probably going to be more liberal than not. Yep. And he plays with that expectation because... And specifically things like casting Bradley Whitford as the her dad. <laughs> like, specifically because, like, he was on West Wing and, like, liberal white guys and white women love that. worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, setting you at ease... Because he's playing towards your like liberalness and things like his line where he's like, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I had the chance. Yeah. Like just how those subtle things where he's poking at like you might think you're better than other people because you're not as racist. But like this movie's about a different kind of racism.
1: Right. It's it's not yes. overt racism. It's commenting on <laughs> like you said, the the <laughs> thoughts and attitudes that, you know, white liberal people can have that are yeah. still racist just racist. not
2: and yeah and that's what I loved about the movie watching the second time around I caught so much more of that because that's what I told Melissa I was like she's supposed to be the way she's acting is how she feels and believes liberal people would act like calling out the cop when her dad is saying my man and she keeps saying oh why would he say that he only uses that with just you right it sickens me <laughs> and and you catch that like you know like the dinner scene. I thought that was such a much more fascinating scene watching it the second time around mm-hmm. where they're all sitting around the dinner table and the brother shows up and they're, he's talking to them about you know, martial arts. But every question they're asking him it's a very offensive question to ask the black person in yeah. general.
1: <laughs> and they don't think that they're being offensive. And Yes. Like, they're, they're all going out of their way to try to prove how not racist they are. Yes, right. that's
2: what I love if you're really paying attention. Ha- have because... you experienced
1: any of that, Robert? Is that realistic? Oh, he, like, yeah. like for, for our white <laughs> listeners, is that, you know, how, how true is this?
2: Oh, that is very true. That's why it was so funny to rewatch that scene, too. Like, when he's like, oh... You do martial arts. And then he's like, he says something along the lines of like, with your body type, you know, you'd be a beast. You're like uh-huh. your genetic your body, makeup, That's yeah, your genetic makeup. Is, yeah. And I was like, that is the, the horrible thing to zigzag. Even my wife mentioned because I always used to get this. Oh, you play football, right? You must play football. Look at your shoulders. You must play football. What are you, linebacker? Uh I never played, I played flag football as a kid, and that was my extent (laughs) of ever playing football, (laughs) like, like, but I got that all the time, even in the church, people asked me, they thought I played college football, or high school, Uh and my wife said, not once have I ever been out, and somebody's ever asked, do I play a sport, (laughs) you know, do I, am I good with music instruments, or something, it's funny, the questions you get asked when, when you are black, like, I've gotten the sports question, uh i've gotten the like you know you know are you nervous question what's mm-hmm. it like dating a white person question you know
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: you, <laughs> like even that scene in the movie where the girl asked the lady asked her his girlfriend is black are black men better than white men in sex like uh-huh. she blatantly asked that in front of him we've gotten that question and it's no like no way you yeah you 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 get people that ask the most ridiculous questions and they might think it's funny and they, and the funniest thing is they really don't ever think that it's offensive they think oh it, it's cool you know like we're just we're just asking because we're curious you know yeah. but <laughs> in the church too I used to get uh, it was me it was never the sex question it was always sports or it was do I agree with black politics. Uh and do I agree with black athletes and kneeling and stuff (laughs) and that was a big one I remember there was a we had a talk in the church and old guy pulled me aside and he was like I know you're a good man especially because you're in this church so (laughs) you would never agree with kneeling right because that's just blatantly wrong and I remember sitting there and I was like I have no opinion on the subject matter because I didn't know what to say. I like, this is an old guy. I'm taught to respect my elders when I was young. So I'm just like, I'm just going to let him feel the way he's going to feel because there's nothing that's going to change what I say. And I don't feel like getting in an argument with an old guy. But it was also interesting because there would be people in church that would bring it up. And when you're the only black person in that situation, in that Mm -hmm. room, it can get so uncomfortable because you want to say something, but you feel like you can't because <laughs> uh-huh. it's like, well, if I say something, there's no one in here that can back me up. And if they do back me up, I don't know if it's because they genuinely agree with me or they just don't want to look back. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I've been in those weird situations before.
1: And just to give some context Robert maybe we should have talked about this in your introduction but oh, you were yeah. you were not raised in the church.
2: No, I was. But you're a convert. Not. Yeah, so I was a convert.
1: How old were you when you were baptized?
2: I was 20 I think I was 27 28 years old.
1: Okay.
2: People don't know this but when you you get baptized you go to a singles ward if you're under the age of 30 I believe. I
1: think it's 30 or 31, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Yeah, 30 31. So when I went there I knew I was on a ticking time clock, I guess, to get married before I aged out. And mm-hmm. I thought, because when you're new to the church, they kind of make it seem like you got to get married. Otherwise, we're going to send you to the adult ward. And then you. That's new. not
0: just if you're new to the church, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in the church, you, you feel that. I saw so many young people with this pressure to get married. And I remember going in there like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But at the same time, the more I stayed in the singles ward, the more I started to feel that pressure of like,
1: right? Because that's just oh, the man, I gotta there. Find, Yeah, I right. got to find a
2: wife. I don't want to be one of these people. <laughs> You're looked down upon if you don't make right. it. <laughs> You know. And so, so,
1: so how long were you a member of the church before you stopped attending, or before you, you know?
2: Okay. So yeah. So I was a member for five years, um, and. You know, I would say I had friends that were like the TSA agent where they were like, Uh hey, man, don't drink that juice. Mormons (laughs) and black people, we haven't always gotten along. And of course, I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. These Mormon people, they're cool. And that's the best thing Get Out did that really made me relate with the Mormonism aspect was when he first arrives at the house everybody treats him like he is the most special person like at the party everybody's talking to him they're at even if the questions are offensive he he feels like everybody wants his attention you know yeah they all and that's what Mormonism did so great they make you feel like we love you you're a family and I think (laughs) I think
1: part of that is because you're a convert and I feel like there's a culture in the church that they do that to converts regardless yeah but also, like, the fact that you were black,
0: like, made it more...
2: It's like this special thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: And I think, I mean, I think a lot of that stems from what we were saying earlier of just that feeling of, like, showing how not racist.
2: Yes. That I feel like yeah. a lot
0: of members understand enough of the history of the church to know that racial relations and, you know, is not a strong suit of the church or wasn't in yep. the past. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's that feeling of like, I got to show you, I'm not racist. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And you get that. And, and I'll, and I'll give you a great scenario. There was, so when I joined the church, I, I wouldn't say I was the first black person. Of course I wasn't, but in our ward, I think I was the first black guy that a lot of people met because they were like in the church, they were like, Oh, especially when I went to the single ward, it was like, Oh, this guy, Robert, new guy. And then, when I was in the family ward, everybody loved me. When I went to the singles ward where everybody was younger, I had to actually work to gain people's friendship. The, the younger generation of kids was like, oh man, I got, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I have to get married and stuff. I trying mm-hmm. to <laughs> earn your friendship. I share less, you right. know, but, and I kind of appreciate that a little, but the bad thing about that, was that was because to them I wasn't new, but then I learned when we got our next black guy that was only introduced as a singles ward, it was this thing of he was treated like a king. But then I found out it wasn't because they really wanted to; it was because they were kind of told to. You look after this guy, you do this, you make him feel good. And make sure make sure of,
1: that make sure he sticks around. Yes, you know in the congregation.
2: <laughs> make sure he sticks around to get baptized. Make sure he sticks around, you know, because we got to it's kind of funny what I would evaluate get out to with the changing of the brains, you know, and all that, mm-hmm. I would say the way it relates to the church is baptisms. Mormons will do whatever they can to keep you around, to get you baptized, mm-hmm. especially when you're a black person new to the church and you might not know everything you should know about the church. But so, thing-
1: <laughs> sorry. I, I was just going to say, so like how much, if at all, did you know about like the controversial concerning history of the church regarding race?
2: None of it. And here's why. This is what's funny. When you're joining the church, like right when you decide to get baptized, well, one, when you're joining and learning with the missionaries, they never bring up anything about Black people and the priesthood and the church. So you don't know any of that. You're just learning about Joseph Smith um, and you know the Rules, plan of Salvation, know. yeah. Yeah, Plan of Salvation. And it all sounds great. It Honestly, the way they pitch it to you, Mormon Church sounds like the most loving, beautiful, Christ-like experience you would ever want. It makes it say, why isn't everybody a part of this religion, and, you know? And I, I think for <laughs> a
1: lot of people that it is that way.
2: It is. Yeah, no, I agree.
1: But not everybody <laughs> in the church has the same experience. And Variants. I think a lot of times that has to do maybe with the color of their skin. Maybe. Yes, I right.
2: agree, because what ends up happening is when you're Black and you get baptized, it feels great, because you're new, you know, especially if you're new, because most Black people I talk to, they weren't born into it. Majority of them were either adopted, and then they their family brought them into it, or they got baptized later on in this, as maybe 18, 19, an adult, you know, when they're uh, of age. Mm-hmm. But the thing I found fascinating is when we uh, choose to get baptized, we really don't know everything we probably should know, <laughs> you know? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And the sad fact is the more you start, you don't learn the stuff about blacks in the priesthood until you're maybe in the church five years, like I was, where they start to give you, like, as you know, you get the priesthood, the Miccosic mm-hmm. priesthood, the more you get that self, the more they're like, okay, now read this. Now read this. And then by the time I got to, well, read about blacks in the church. That's when I learned. But the problem is I don't think they understand the church. Is When black people read that, it's a shock for you like mm-hmm. to learn that. Just like when – and get out. When, when Chris realizes what's happening, like when he starts to put all the pieces together, it's a shock for him. He's you like, know? oh,
1: no, what am I doing here?
2: Yeah, and mm-hmm. and, he, and to his credit, he literally tries to get out. Like, he's like, we need to get the keys. We need to go. And I feel like that scene with the where Chris wants the keys and he just wants to get out and you can tell he's nervous, that's how I felt when I learned about Blacks and Priesthood because I was like, oh, <laughs> had I known this all happened, I would have very much thought a lot more about do I really want to join this church, you know? Mm-hmm. I would have wanted to do a little bit more research be a little bit more aware, but you feel like once you're already baptized and in it, that you can't go anywhere because you no longer have the keys. Your bishop has the keys. Your like friends have the keys. Mm -hmm. If you're married, your wife has the keys, you know, because the last thing you want to do is tell your spouse, you want to leave the church because that can end your whole marriage. You could lose your kids. I mean, for a lot of people, hopefully that's not the case. I got blessed. My wife was very much supportive, but Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody's spouse is going to be that way. You know, right. There, there are people I know they lost their spouse by leaving the church. Um, so it's a scary thought to not have the keys like Chris did in, in that situation. And to know that you're now along for the ride with them, they're controlling what's about to happen to you from this point out. Like to go yeah. back to the movie, because to me that's what that scene represents. Chris no longer has control. He's about to be along for the ride, the rest of the movie, and so he can figure out how to outsmart him, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of my journey with the point, because I stayed in the church. I believe of my friends who got baptized, uh, black, two of them left. No, all of them that got baptized left, but the ones that were already in the church when I met them, they stayed. And I feel like I've been doing a lot of talking, so let's go with you guys (laughs) about how you felt about some of these scenes I just talked about. (laughs)
1: Sure. Well, and one other thing that I just wanted to go off of what you had said, you know, you're baptized not having known any of the background history of the church. You know, the church a while back came out with those essays about controversial or maybe problematic areas. <laughs> yeah. Just to kind of like, and didn't you say that at one point you were given that to teach to like a Sunday school
2: class or something? Oh, yeah. And I, that was interesting because I ended up teaching it to my Sunday school class. The teacher in the room who was like, you know, because I was taking her spot, she just kind of showing me how to do it for mm-hmm. the calling Uh, Just in case anybody's listening who's not Mormon, we get callings. And mine was to teach youth, and so was hers. But, uh, yeah, when I was teaching it, she had no idea this happened in the church at all. She was crying when I taught the lesson. None of the kids knew about it. And the kids were like, it was kind of funny, because to me, the kids had more common sense than people did back then. Because some of the kids were like, I don't understand why Brigham Young would do that. Like, what's wrong with black people just having the priesthood? Yeah. You know, like, what's wrong with anybody of color? Why did, because the kids even know some kids, and I'm actually happy that their parents didn't teach them this, that people with dark skin were considered cursed. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I had to explain to them. And the way I explained it to them, I said, I couldn't have married my wife and gone to heaven or any of that. And it made some kids cry.
1: I think it was really really unfair of you like not really knowing the background of you know the context of blacks within the lds church and then like you're given this thing where you have to teach this lesson to kind of like defend yeah defend know, the church the church and the reasons of why that might have been that way yeah and i was and just because really, you had, you told me about that you know told us about that earlier and that just like my jaw dropped when i you had said that you had to do that
2: and the worst part is now that you mentioned it, Dan, I didn't even realize I was put in that situation of having to defend the church of something that hurt me. You know, like
1: yeah.
2: I was like having to tell these kids, yeah, they did all this bad stuff, but it's okay. Cause you feel bad. But mm-hmm. at the same time, reading it to these kids, I was getting upset like that day. Like I was thinking to myself, these kids have every right to be upset, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: Like, you know, that this is something that, it's beyond me that the church hasn't had like a conference and they, I feel like that kind of issue, a church should have had a general conference where they discussed it. They talked about it to all their members and then they apologize for it. You know, I think that's something that they need to understand, putting it on somebody else. Like that doesn't even know all the history behind it to kind of teach these kids. It's like, it's like how in the movie, they turned on a TV and explained to you as the person who's about to get the surgery done and get out, Oh, this is Mm -hmm. about to happen to you. And you, you don't know exactly what's going on. And then it just pops up and you're like supposed to put these pieces together after a five minute conversation with the TV. Well, yeah, for these kids, they had a 30 minute talk about it. And it's like, but go home and talk with your parents about it. Hopefully they know, you know, and, and it's scary because The biggest thing I did say to the kids is, sadly, there were people in the church that when black people got the priesthood, they left the church, you know, that that's how upset they were about it. So it did stem from racism, in my opinion. And another big thing that was sad when you think about it is there are people in this church, and I personally have met them, where because they were taught that dark-skinned people were cursed, they truly believe that. And in a way they think they're more superior than like black people in the church or darker skinned people in the church. Mm-hmm. And it comes across as racism without them realizing it. And that's what I loved about get out is they do the most racist, say the most racist things, but they genuinely don't think that there's anything racist about it. Like one exactly. of the best scenes in that movie is when the blind man is talking to Chris and he's like, oh, I don't care if you're black or brown. I don't care what color you are. Don't lump me in with that group. You know? It's like, but you're still doing the same. You're still taking this kid's brain, so you are part of that group. You just don't understand that, and you get a lot of that in the church sometimes of, like, you know, whether it comes to the LGBT community, black people, it's like, oh, I don't support what these people over here feel, but I'm not going to leave, you know? Right. (laughs) I'm going to still i'm gonna be the change you know and so it's an interesting thing when sometimes people say that because in a way you're kind of like it doesn't make you better than the people in the church if you still are doing what they're doing you know at the end of the day but Mm -hmm. i do understand not everybody is the same and and by the way just in case you're listening to this i don't hate anybody in the church i do love a lot i have friends and family in the church i love everyone It's just, it was a frustrating experience Mm -hmm. to be a Black person in the church and watching this movie, because I never once thought, how can a movie relate to my experience in the church, you know, but watching it out, I was like, yeah, I was kind of groomed in a way by the people being so kind to me and I was excited to be a part of it all, you know? And then when Black people in the priesthood came into play that's when I started to question things a little but the biggest thing that really reminded me of Mormonism in the church was my bishop and a little bit of my in-laws when it came to that T, when it came to that sunken place and mm-hmm. the control and we can get into that scene in a bit because I really would like to know what you guys thought of that scene yeah. when she puts him in the sunken place but then I'll kind of give you my perspective of real life scenarios in the church where I felt like I was in a sunken place like that. <laughs> uh, Cause I'll give you a big one and then I'll give you a little one, but both mm-hmm. of them relate to like how that tea scene. Oh man, that made me kind of cringe watching it. Cause I was like, I was like, uh, I could I know what it feels like to feel like you have all this power in yourself and then to feel like you can't do anything. Snap, you can't do anything. It's all gone.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. You know, the last movie, Dan and I talked about, was Fiddler on the Roof, which is also a very specific point of view about a culture that's very specific and unique. <laughs> and I feel like I need more context. And so I was looking up a lot of like what Jordan Peele sort of said about the movie. The most succinct sort of thing I've seen him say is he tweeted about it. And he said, the second place means, this is him, His the quote from him. He says, the second place means we're marginalized no matter how hard we scream, the system silences us. Yep. <laughs> and I feel like that's such a succinct way. I mean, like obviously, very smart way to just summarize that idea because that's obviously what's going on in the movie. I feel like as a and society. And society, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, Movies are the only thing that matter. So <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, if it didn't happen
2: in the movie, it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, f- speaking from like the the white man, straight white male experience, I don't have a whole lot to complain about about me being marginalized, but I do feel like everyone everyone has the experience of being marginalized to some degree,
2: yeah, and
0: and for some reason, whether it's it's big or small, I feel like. As, and we talked about this a little bit with Fiddler on the Roof, where it's like Mormons are, are, have, can have a victim complex sometimes, I feel like, where a history of persecution leads us to think that we're the underdog and persecution's around the corner sometimes. Um, but all those, most of the reasons why people are marginalized, even for like your choice of beliefs, is because it's a choice and i feel like what is really at the heart of this movie is that like he has no choice chris over who he is as a person and and has every right to complain about being marginalized because of something he had no control over which is the color of his skin and i think that it's just such i mean the second place is so scary just the way it's filmed and the way that yeah. it's presented like like it it's scary but you know, I can't, I can't begin to fathom sort of the personal connection of like what is going on inside of sort of Chris's head in experiencing this and sort of how that extends then to the black audience and to Jordan Peele and sort of you know what he's he's picking at by presenting this. And I feel like, I don't know, like you're asking our opinion. And I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, what, what does it matter?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, no, that's a great answer, actually. I mean... Yeah, Dan. How
1: about you? (laughs) Um, you know, like Nick said, it's a scary movie. But again, um, you know, I don't think that I've ever been like experienced something analogous to that in real life. You know, obviously, like, you know, not falling down a big black (laughs) abyss. But I mean, as far (laughs) as feeling like like my powerless, like powerless and unable to express my voice, like. I don't, I can't think of very many situations, if any, that I felt like completely
0: powerless like
1: that. Um,
0: Which so, are, go ahead. I think speaks to like, obviously what Jordan Peele's drawing on to, you know, like he talks a lot about how like this movie is his greatest fears on film. And I feel like it's so such a foreign concept to like, be worried about your like identity being like stolen basically to become a whole nother like race or, or, you know, person like I've, I've never worried about that. And I don't, I Hmm. think that's obviously because like of privilege and white privilege and like, you know, that like Dan's saying, like, I feel like, you know, I've never been in that situation where I felt that sunken place sort of feeling. Yeah, Which is that totally sense. privilege and like, yeah, puts you know, and part of why like obviously we didn't want to just talk about this the two of us. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, one no, of the interesting one of the interesting things
1: that I had read was about the symbolism of the teaspoon and like the the tea <laughs> um, that that can be looked at from kind of like an imperialistic point of yeah. view, like like the fancy cup of tea is very much like you know an upper white you know high end society type of thing you know who drinks fancy tea
2: southern people drink fancy and, tea. and and i mean i mean
1: mormons don't drink tea but you know um apart but so like so they would have been as,
0: tipped off right away like stay away from <laughs> yeah. her
1: right but as as far as like the symbolism of that going back to like the british empire and kind of like the colonialism going to all of these other parts of the world and taking what they want and taking advantage of the different places. Right. You know, that the tea can kind of symbolize that almost.
2: You know, I agree with you guys completely, especially about the D. What I also liked about that scene, she doesn't give Chris a choice If when you're really paying attention to it. Right. She mm-hmm. pretty much forces him to do things he didn't want to talk about, you know, or do like, mm-hmm. like, you know, she didn't ask, would you like to take a seat? She's like, no, sit down, do this, do that. <laughs> you know? And I thought that was fascinating because it was like,
0: and it's your girlfriend's you know, mom. So like, what are you going yeah,
2: you know, yeah, gonna... to, are going to
0: do? Our entry into that scene is that she's concerned about him smoking. Yes. And that it, it feels initially she's coming from a place of concern for her daughter. And that's, that's how she's pitching it. And obviously yeah. we learn later that it's more a concern for the, you know, how he's treating his body because they want it. They don't want damaged yeah. goods. Right. They
2: don't want damaged goods. But I think that like,
0: that's pretty indicative of sort of their whole approach is that like, they come from a place of we, we, we like you, we're concerned for you. We want to get to know you and it, but it's all a facade for the seedier sort of thing that, you know, what this family is really after, but
2: yeah. But yeah. Like and, you're saying
0: he has no choice. <laughs>
2: And I'll give you a couple of examples, if you like. of One, me and my wife went to the bishop because when you're in the church, you know, you got to do your temple recommend. You got to make sure you're worthy to go back to the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, so she went in before me and then I went in after because they see us, you know, they see you separately. And I remember when I went in there, it was when I was struggling with black people and the church and the priesthood thing with black people. So, and I hadn't been to church for a little bit because my dad was sick with cancer. So I was taking, helping take care of him. So mm-hmm. I went in the room and of course you go in there and you sit in the chair, Bishop's in his chair at the desk and they're talking to you. And I remember feeling when that conversation, when it instantly started off, I didn't feel like I had any power or any say, because the first, con- first thing of the conversation was, you know, how you doing? And it's like, good. But then it was like, all right, let's jump into it. Do you feel worthy? You know, with that checklist of questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I remember saying, yeah, I feel worthy and stuff like that. But then he asked me like, um, why haven't I been to church? And I explained to him everything. But then he asked, you know, it got, as we got further down the list, I told him like, when it got to the question of the I guess it's where they ask you, do you believe in the prophets and all that? And I told him, I believe in today's prophet, but I'm finding it hard based on reading our history to think that Brigham Young was a prophet for the church because of what he did to black people in the priesthood. And every time I've asked questions about it or bring it up, everybody just tells me it's the past and just to let it go but it's hard to let go because this is new to me, you know, and that's what mm-hmm. I told him. And I'm like, I don't know what to do because I'm struggling right now. I'm like, I love the church. I've given everything to the church, but I don't understand why it's so hard to answer question about why this happened. And then I'll never forget it. He was like, all right, well, if you feel that way and you truly feel that way, then I'm going to have to take it as you don't, you know, support our prophets, and I'm going to take your temple recommend from you. And by the way, he knew I had a wedding to go to, and that was the whole reason we were doing this. (laughs) So Mm. when he did that, I kid you not, I just sunk, like, in my chair because I was like, I thought you were allowed to ask questions in the church, you know? I didn't think that would make me lose my temple recommend because I was curious about what happened to Black people, you know? I didn't say that I don't support bringing Young at all. I just said, I don't understand how this guy's a prophet, you know,
0: (laughs) if he was Mm -hmm. able to
2: make a choice that felt like it came nowhere from God, but from like just the time. So, okay, there's racism here. If I don't say that we support, if I say we support black people, then this group of people here won't join our church, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it seemed like they wanted the numbers more. So when he took my temple recommend, I kid you not, it was a gut punch. And then when he told me like, uh, when I asked him like well how long will it be before I get it back he's like we'll see but you need to go pray about it and you need to go you know read your scriptures and do this so then I left the room and I was like Melissa did he take your temple recommend away because she lives in the same house as me by the way she missed the exact same amount of days in church as I did <laughs> and everything mm-hmm. and she was like no I just went in there and answered the questions and I got my temple recommend and I just was like my mind just kind of started to deteriorate with the church because I was like, well, how deep does this go? If I lose my temple recommend over asking questions about black people. Mm -hmm. So literally I didn't know what to do because everybody's like, Hey, we're excited about the wedding, this and that. And my other brother-in-law Gregory wanted me to really be in the temple. And I had to break it to him because I felt so bad. Uh, Dan knows I'm super honest about anything. If I, if I know I can't do it, I will be straightforward with you. Mm-hmm. So I messaged the whole family. It was like, hey, I'm sorry. I lost my temple recommend. Um, and I won't be able to go to the wedding. So everybody was like, wait, what? How did you lose it? And I literally was honest. I was like, oh, asked about black people in the priesthood. And I know Dan probably believed me but and some other people, but I, I could tell other people didn't think that was really what it could have possibly been. Some people Mm -hmm. were like, that can't be right. It has to be something else. I was like, no, I'm serious. I asked about black people in the priesthood and the bishop told me that he felt because I have so many questions, I'm not worthy right now.
1: (laughs) Sorry to interrupt, but I think that this is just a really good example of the variability within different local leaders in the church. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know of bishops, who would not have you know taken your recommend away who would have renewed it cuz like for example i i know someone who like went to a bishop's recommend interview and they were having doubts about whether god actually existed or not you know not not just you know and <laughs> in, in my mind that's like a way bigger fundamental question than blacks in the priesthood but like
2: yeah.
1: you know not even knowing if god existed but they got their temple recommend renewed anyways the bishop's like oh you just need to go more and and then you'll know, you know? yeah
2: and to make it clear it, it is depending on the person because you know the bishop i had prior before we went to this war because it was a brand new war i love that bishop he was great you know he worked with me i could ask him any question and he had no issues. you know so i guess that was where i got thrown off in this new church because mm. i was like this dude's way different you know and and he he was he was very old school with a lot of his stuff and and I don't blame him. I think he just was very misinformed, you know, but mm-hmm. when, when I had to deal with that, I don't think he understood. I, I know he had no idea what was all going to lead into the next segment, because if he probably would have known it was going to lead into this, he probably would have taken back everything that happened prior, because <laughs> what yeah, so, happened, yeah, so Dan will know. Yeah, so I, uh, I was just going to say, really... Robert,
1: tell, tell us what happened afterwards. What, yeah, so, what did this story lead to?
2: So what happened was we went to Utah for the wedding, of course, because we're still gonna go.
1: And this was the wedding um, of a, of one of our sisters in law, you know. So yes, sister in
2: law. So uh, we get there, and everything's fine, but family's still a little bummed. I can't go into the temple. And at you know, this point, but- I,
1: I I don't have a temple recommend either because I've left the church, and so like <laughs> yeah. it was a given that I was not gonna be in yeah, for the ceremony. So mm-hmm. Me
2: and Dan were gonna hang out and. And, you know, your wife and Chris, like our other brother-in-law. If you have to edit out his name, (laughs) but our other brother-in-law and and my wife was going to hang out with me too. But the problem was because she had a temple regiment, everybody assumed she was going to go in there. And then this started to throw another wrench because, you know, Mormonism teaches it's about family and kind of forming to get out the reason I relate to Chris in a way is the way he looked at his girlfriend in that movie was she was his family. Even if her family was turning on him, he truly thought she had his back, you know, mm-hmm. and especially with that key scene. You can tell he truly believed in her until she does what she does with the keys. And then he's like, you can tell that's the biggest gut punch to him at all in the entire movie when that happens. him so because he didn't have his mom, you know, he didn't have people. So, what I had when I went to Utah was my son and Melissa, you know, like I love Dan, but I'm not married to Dan. So, right. you know, they're so your number
1: one.
2: Up, yeah. They're my number one. So what ends up happening is um, everybody leaves that we go to get some swim trunks for my son because we weren't going to go on the temple. So we we're going to go get that get dressed. Cause later on we plan to go up to a brother-in-law's house to go swimming with the kids. What happens is my sister-in-law calls us, because they need a ring, because everybody already left the house, which we didn't know, so we go back to the house, we grab the ring for their sealing uh, ceremony, and we take the ring to the temple. Now, Melissa's like, I'm gonna go drop it off, right in front, I'll be right back. And at so this point, happened, Melissa
1: At this point, Melissa had a temple recommend.
2: Yeah, she had her temple recommend.
1: So she could so have she, gone in, but she was planning to not. Yes, that so right? she's, she's planning
2: on not going in. She just wanted to drop off the ring, come back to the car. So like she had me pull in front. So I pull in front and she goes in <laughs> and I'm sitting in the car for like 10 minutes at first. And I'm like, okay, I guess her sister's got the jitters, the wedding jitters. And then another 20 minutes passes. So I'm sitting in the car for about 35 minutes. So I ended up getting out the car with my son and going in like something can be right. What's going on? I go inside the temple And I'm dressed in regular clothes, by the way. I don't have my suit or anything on yet because we we didn't, you know, only Melissa went home. And and Melissa wasn't even in anything fancy. She was dressed a little nice. I went in there and I come in and the guy's like, hello, are you lost? And I said, oh, no, I'm looking for my wife. She came into the temple um, to drop off a ring. So he's like, oh, okay, well, let's go to the front. So they take me to the front desk and they never asked me once, am I a member? Do I have a temple record I could be in? Any of that. What they ask is where, what wedding was my wife in? And I said, oh, she's in my uh, sister-in-law and brother in law So I give them the name and then they're like, oh, that started 30 minutes ago or 40 minutes ago or something. And I'm like, oh, that can't be right. Cause my wife isn't out here. She, She must be... Like, is she having to wait? What's going on? They're like, oh, well, if your wife didn't come back out, it's because she chose to stay for the temple ceremony, uh, for the ceiling ceremony, and we would never make somebody leave if they choose to stay. And I was like, no, that's not right. My wife wouldn't do that to me. She told me she was coming right back out. So I end up saying, can you please go get her? Because I have her son. I don't really know this neighborhood that well, I'm not from here, (laughs) I'm confused, and the guy literally is like, sir, if you keep complaining, if you keep uh, disputing or escalating, I'm going to have your move, and I'm not like yelling, by the way, I'm like whispering, because I know how the rules of the temple work, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, all I'm saying is, I just would like my wife, and then they literally had a guard come and escort me out of the temple, and I'm trying not to cry, because it was such an emotional experience for me that that it was embarrassing because i felt like why didn't you just ask if i was a member you know why didn't you even even they could have gone to where the waiting room was or taken me there where dan and them were sitting if i probably would have saw them i would have been like okay everybody's here i'll just wait with them and wait for melissa they didn't even take me to that room you know (laughs) They just escorted me out of the temple, back to my car, and I had to get in my car, and I was crying hard, and I just figured my way how to get back home, and I went home, and I just remember calling Melissa, and I was like, this hurts so bad, I don't know what's going on, I don't understand how the Mormon church works anymore, especially when it comes to family, I thought your family's supposed to be with you, and, and, uh... I ended up leaving Utah that day because I didn't want to stay because I didn't want to take away from my sister-in-law's big day, but it messed me up so bad that I just was pretty much having a breakdown when it came to my faith in the church and religion, because I lost my temple recommend for questioning blacks in the priesthood. I felt what happened to me at the temple was based on my skin color. It had nothing to do with if I was a worthy member or not. And I felt that my own family of in-laws was trying to take my wife away from me when I needed her the most in a situation, you know, and I didn't know how to handle it. So I was blessed to have Melissa who did leave with me and have Dan who supported me and his wife, because it was tough. I will never forget that situation. And I never even got an apology. Like I told I felt like I had to apologize to everybody for a bad thing that happened to me because I apologized to every single person because I didn't want them to feel hurt or bad, but I didn't even get an apology from the church guy who did it. He apologized to my in-laws because when I told them, they went to go see if it was true, you know, and the guy told him exactly what I said happened. He said that exact thing happened and he just said he didn't know I was a member, which to me shouldn't have excused what he did at all, you know. Like, remember or not, I think I would have had the common courtesy to sit in a waiting room if I told him my wife was there. Um, But, yeah, so when Chris is in that situation in the sunken place, and when he's in that situation right after with uh, where he's telling Rose that he can't stay there when they're outside, and how he wants to go home, and he's kind of crying a little bit. Like, he's like, I can't stay in this house anymore. I don't feel good here. I feel scared. I feel nervous. I could easily relate to that, you know? And when he has that freak out moment, when he's asking Rose for the keys, I think the Lord that my wife actually took the keys and helped me leave. Cause I don't know what I would have done if she would have just been like, Hey, we can't go, you know, this is something you're just going to have to sit through. Cause you know, it, it was a tough moment. That was like a, it broke me kind of moment, you know, yeah. like, uh and I think that the one blessing that came from it, I had a lot of family was very supportive, you know, they weren't spiteful or hurtful, you know, but I just kind of want people to know that in the church, sometimes there's such a way that people look at stuff, especially old school people that they don't even think about Maybe this person is a member, you know, because even before that situation, there would be missionaries when I was with Melissa and we were married and we would go to temple openings and stuff. They would think I was just some random person coming through to look. They never realized I was married to my wife or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a member just coming to see the new temple. They would always come up to me and be like, Hey, do you know about our Lord and saving? I'd be like, Oh, I'm a member. And they'd be like, Oh, okay, bye. You know, So it was one of those things where sometimes I think in the church, they need to look past skin color because you never know who's a member or not, you know, but also I sometimes think they have to, I think this is why it's a big deal for the church to kind of really address some of the things that happened in the past and really address that none of that was of God, you know, because Mm -hmm. if you put out a letter, that's fine. But if you don't in my mind, for a lot of church members, if the prophet never truly addresses it, then there's nothing that they fully they feel they need to fix with you know
1: and and just going back to the movie too about the experience you just shared um it reminds me of some of the scenes where when you said you felt like you were the one that went through the hard experience, but then you were the one that felt like you had to apologize to everybody like I feel that happened to Chris in the movie where like. You know, he would bring certain things up to his girlfriend, and she'd be like, "You know, why, why are you thinking oh, that?" He's she... like, "Oh, oh, sorry, no, it's fine, it's fine." You know, I'll, I'll stay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so he felt like he had to be apologetic
2: to about things that, that wasn't yeah. his,
1: uh, things that wasn't his, even his fault. You know,
2: and it's the worst feeling because when you think about it, it's like you, you want everybody to be so comfortable around you because you're so nervous about them not feeling comfortable that they can hurt you and then you're the one who has to feel guilty about them just doing what they did to you, to where you feel like you need to make it right somehow. And another great example I'll give is outside when they're at the party, you know, and he walks Uh up to him as a black person. I feel like that character was somebody I met in the church who was a member, he grew up in it, but then he left and then he came back and then he ended up leaving again for good. But I remember when I would talk to him, be like, oh, man, you should just get out while I get getting scared. <laughs> and he'd always mm-hmm. say things like that because he, like, he was like, it's not what you always think. And he's like, how much of the church history have they told you? And I was like, oh, just enough. you know." They said you learn as you go. And he was like, oh, you'll learn things that you don't want to know. And then there was a girl that came up to me who ended up leaving the church. She said, because she was it, it, I joined the church around that time where women were fighting for the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this gentleman should know more than anyone how it feels because of what they did to black people. And I remember, because it was like at a social or something, and I was holding a couple of groups, uh-huh. and I was like, what happened to black people? That's <laughs> That was the first thing that I thought. I was like, what happened to black people in the church? And I didn't even think to go look it up then. I just, because everybody's like, oh, she's just upset. Don't let her Don't let her sway you. And of course, when you're new and people are coming up to you, you're like, oh will okay.
1: right I'm Put
2: just going to hang out. <laughs>
1: putting her in her own sunken place, you know, yeah, and then you much. you into your own sunken place, you know, you can't bring yeah. up those topics. I feel
0: like a lot of what you're talking about, Robert, just makes me feel like, which a, a term we've talked about on the, on the podcast before, of gaslighting, of just that it yes. feels like, you know, that feeling of like having to say it to apologize because someone else did something to you that you know, like is all over the movie here where we feel like, you know, like I was saying the first time through a lot of these scenes play like, Oh, like Rose, the girlfriend is supportive of him. And like, she's like coming to his aid and it's really her gaslighting him so that he'll stay and like ignore all these warning signs that, that he's seeing.
2: Yeah. And even the biggest giveaway too, to how Rose is is at the beginning of the movie I noticed the second time watching it, when they hit that deer, he's the only one that truly shows empathy for that dead deer. Mm-hmm, and right. she's just like, "It's I don't care. I'm not going over there. I'm not wasting my time. And it just shows Chris's character. Which that deer uh, is
0: super critical to, like, set up. Yeah, it is. That's, you know, that deer he's going to get violent. on. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, but one funny thing is, well, it's not even funny. It's kind of sad. It's the scene where he's like, my phone's been unplugged with a charger and he finds out that the person doing it is the black maid lady, which mm-hmm. we later find out is the grandma, of course. But uh, I had a friend who passed away that was to a T like that lady. He just passed away recently, but the reason that scene actually got to me more this time and made me cry because I thought of him because there's that scene in the movie where he's like, you know, I'm sorry. He, he apologized to her for unplugging the phone, like Chris usually is doing throughout the movie. And then he's like, I'm sorry, I just get nervous around white people, like when there's too many white people. You can tell she's struggling with herself because she has those tears coming out of her eyes and then she's like, no, 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 no. You know, they love yeah. us. They're family. We can't leave even if we wanted to because this is family, you know? And I had a friend like that, that. His biggest struggle was he wanted to leave the church, but he was so he was so unfortunate to be sickly and not have a lot of money that the way the church kept him around was they would help. And he felt if he ever left the church, he had no help for him and his family. So for him, and they they made him feel loved, you know? So for him, he would always be like, I don't like what they did to black people. He went on his mission and was called and I'll use the word just so people t- truly understand how horrible this word to me, It was called a nigger um, by missionaries on his mission. No way. And he literally told the, like, who's the head of the missionaries? when they're on their mission? The mission the, president. Yeah. The mission president. And he just told them, Oh, it's the South. We do things differently down here. So you just need to kind of get used to it and ignore it. This kid stayed faithful. Even after all that, For like another 15 years in the church, and he was struggling, you know. Him, I told him, you know, if you can't leave, don't ever think you're a failure, because one, you're not, you know. If it works for you, it works for you, you know. But he reminded me of that woman because it was like he would want to leave so bad and he would beat himself up because he would leave for like a month and then he'd go back and he would leave and then go back. And then he just felt like, he was weak. And I told him, You're not weak, you know. You you're just you're just somebody who struggles with trying to find your truth, you know? And I said, But if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm always here for you. And he finally did get out. Sadly it was through death, but mm-hmm. you know, he was a great person and he showed the most Christ like love. So what I told him is just keep doing that to the people of your ward, so maybe they can pass that on in the future to say that you know the reason i brought that up was cuz that woman you could tell she was fighting so hard to regain back that you know consciousness the power, mm-hmm. the power but she couldn't you know <laughs> yeah man and so we should get into like what i would say is more so where we get into that dark area of when chris gets captured fully captured so we can discuss that cuz I feel
0: like this ending, I mean, we're getting into talking about sort of the ending. I think just the violence of it is like, (laughs) there's been such pent up sort of like tension. and so tense and psychological for so long that like by the time he's captured and then like it kind of all explodes, you're like, I needed that. (laughs) Yeah. Like (laughs) like, even though it's gory and and I know, but yeah, it is that feeling of like, yeah, finally sort of like letting it all out.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, you finally can see somebody. you get going to see Chris fight back. You're yeah. like, oh, it's happening. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Um, so when it, one of the things I got to say real quick, though, is yeah. that I did see that Jordan Peele said that they had had other plans for sort of how to get the exposition out of like what this whole surgery is about. And that he ended up going with like part of it was just budgetary, like filming this yeah. very simple little video that they would show him. But he said part of the reason was that he, he was inspired by the Dharma Initiative videos in Lost to, oh, nice. to make that little video that that's kind of where it came from. And as a huge Lost fan, just got to throw that in there. I thought yeah. that was a fun
1: little I reference. That. I, didn't, I did not know that. That's fun.
2: Hey, he's um, so natty, Jordan Peele. He's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's he's um you know, he he's captured basically at this point and it's very overt. There's no more hiding what they're trying to do. Right? They have him down <laughs> yeah. in the basement, they have him yeah. locked up. Um, See,
2: it's the only time by the way picking cotton has ever saved a black man's life
1: right which is you know very very symbolic <laughs> yes. to have him do that at the end yeah
2: <laughs> yeah a little clever being yeah. there
1: what i thought was i mean we talked about the symbolism of the deer before and I, there's a lot of the symbolism of that that we probably haven't dug too deep into but like the mother that, stuff <laughs> yeah in that room Above the TV, there's, you know, that taxidermy deer head, (laughs) which is basically like a trophy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the deer is representative of Chris and like the black people in the film, right? And it's almost like they are trophies that, you know, have have been hunted down Mm -hmm. and they're using their bodies, right? So there's like very significant metaphor going on with that.
2: And the blind man even mentions to Chris that he was one of the lucky ones because he got to have the experience of being groomed in by the girl where she dated him and they brought him there. Where Lakeith Stanfield, we saw they just kidnapped him at the beginning of the movie, yeah. like, threw With him in Ro- Rose's brother car. Yeah, yeah, her brother just kidnapped dudes. So, like it was interesting that they use their kids to do it, but in two separate ways, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, I think that like, you know, the movie plays around with a lot of these ideas, but it, it becomes overt in this final act as we really realize what they're doing and what the plan is and and what the whole history sort of leading up to this, this plan has been.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: feel like, you know, at the heart of that is, you know, Jordan Peele's fear of like, that in order to be accepted he has to become more white sort of, or that, that that's like the fear is that like, yes. you know, that like he, he has to lose his identity and his voice in order to become like part of the, the, like the crowd, so to speak. And I feel like, you know, I imagine having lived and worked in in LA and which is still, you know, I ironically, you know, sort of one of the most liberal and sort of, like progressive places in the United States and still has such a hard time with representing diversity (laughs) in in full ways. And so like, I imagine that because he's been in the industry for years that he that was, I imagine a lot of what sort of drove that is that like, it was that I'm sure for him a struggle between like having his identity and his voice, but having to make it fit into uh, Hollywood culture that benefits and, and supports sort of white a, a white dominant voice and how do you how do you work between
1: in that world and and we could probably call that cinematic code switching right, right. where yeah. you have to like limit your work <laughs> right in order for it to be maybe more palatable to the the dominant culture
2: and there are a lot of directors who have done that and then there are ones that haven't like spike lee will will right. be damned if he lets somebody tell him how to direct one of his black experienced films, but think I love about Spike Lee, he shows all sides, you know, of it, but I was grateful that the studio, and it, I'm kind of happy that Get Out was a low budget, because that studio let him tell his exact story he wanted to tell. It's hard to make movies like this, you know, <laughs> where everybody can watch it, and it it can be scary to anyone thinking of how this scenario played out, <laughs> Right. Like, you don't have to be black in my mind to be scared like for Chris to be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is terrifying. <laughs> I would never want to be in this situation.
1: And <laughs> You know, I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but, you know, even on my first viewing, um, you know, at the end when the cop car shows up and there's the lights, like I know how bad that is for Chris just because I know like <laughs> yeah, the way that things uh, <laughs> are in this country. And like, I don't have to be black to know that He's in big trouble. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, when I first saw this movie in theaters, I thought that was going to be the ending. I was like, he's either about to get shot <laughs> or he's going to jail. Yeah. And, and Jordan Peele talks about yeah, that they but... initially
0: had that ending, you know, <laughs> that he would get arrested and that was, uh-huh. and then just felt like uh, he's been through so much, like we deserve a happy ending for him. Right.
2: Yeah. So what... And when Obama was president, he wanted the ending of him getting arrested to be like, see America, these are things black people go through. Like,
1: but we're and I watched the deleted or the alternate ending with yeah. like the commentary and Jordan Peele said, you know, he wrote this during the Obama era. He said that there's almost kind of like a post-racial, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're not racist anymore because we have a black president now. And so like, you know, racist issues aren't a thing anymore. But he wanted yeah. to make this movie with that ending where he did, get caught by the police to show hey look like we still you know have this going <laughs> yeah. on but then so, he was like know, he didn't we, we need a hero that. right now <laughs> yeah we need a hero so.
2: <laughs> and i think if it would have been released during that era and we have that ending man, I think Black people, we would have rioted. We would have been like, tear it all down. <laughs> Burn this movie to down. This is not the ending we yeah.
0: need. <laughs> no. I mean, it is super. I mean, I think we've seen that both, you know, as a country, sort of the like post-racial thing, electing a Black president or other countries, like I've seen them talk about like electing a, a woman as the, the president or prime minister or whatever, has like then given people like sort of carte blanche of like, look, we we did the progressive things, so therefore we are not racist or sexist. Therefore, we <laughs> I can, can say pay. this
2: other stuff. That's actually what a lot of what people get, and I think that's the sad thing. Is you know you get a lot of the why are you still upset? Racism's over. Just let it go. Move forward. Move past it. And you gotta remember, it's like <laughs> didn't happen that long ago. Like the '60s, black people were being still hung, mm-hmm. and in the church. It wasn't until the '80s black people were accepted as equals. So, so in the church, or it was.
1: Like, it was. Uh, wasn't it '78? I think.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: '78, like. Which is way like, past
0: sort of the civil rights becoming.
2: <laughs> yeah. Becoming
0: extreme, you know, it's it's on the tail end
1: of. But here's the thing, though, that really weirded me out is when I was a kid, like growing up, I knew you know some of the history of blacks in the church and the you know, getting rid of the priesthood ban and stuff. And, um, but when I was a kid, I didn't really have like a concept of time or how long ago things were. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm older, I'm like, that was 10 years before I was born. Right. That's like not long ago at all that there was still these issues going on. Like,
2: yeah. And that's what I told people in the church when they're like, Oh, it's, it's the past. It's like, That's past, but it wasn't that long ago. It's not
1: that long ago, yeah.
2: I was born after that, like, seven years (laughs) later. And all Mm -hmm. I think to myself is just, wow. And then in the 80s, there was a guy that gave a talk about interracial marriages being bad. And it was like... Well, and it still says that. It still
1: says that in some, some (laughs) like, instruction manuals or, like, lesson manuals. You know, there's still (laughs) quotes that say that, so...
2: I know, so it's just one of those things of when people ask why I didn't move to Utah, because my in-laws wanted us to move there, I was like, that's kind of why. Like, no offense against Utah, it's a beautiful state, but sometimes I try to tell black people just to get out of Utah. <laughs> like <laughs> Get out of Utah, you gotta get out. Yeah. And the, in the end, though, with the violence in the movie, I think the biggest thing I noticed is watching it again was Chris is reluctant to use that violence he doesn't want to do it. You can tell he's doing it out of self-preservation at that point. where Because mm-hmm. when he hits the guy with, like, the the ball the first time, he's very reluctant to hit him again. It's like he doesn't want to kill him unless he has to, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when he realizes, hey, the only way out of here is I got to take the people out that are in my way,
1: mm-hmm. he does
2: it. And And I thought that was fascinating because the most pivotal scene is when the person who put them there, which is Rose, is when he's choking her and he was going to kill her. And then he decides he doesn't want to be that person, you know, not to do it. And he lifts his arms off of her and he gets up and then, you know, of course, we get the cops showing up and we're all scared. And then thank goodness it's his friend, you know, yeah. which I love the humor at the end of the movie, by the way. After Mm -hmm. we went through all that scary stuff, his friend's like, told you not to go in that house. (laughs) Like, like, I love that we get that at the very end of like. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really
1: good ending.
2: Yeah, just kind of being like, hey, man, I don't want to say I told you so, but I knew this would happen. (laughs) I also think it's important to note, too, you never notice the scars in their head, like the people who have been taken over, Mm -hmm. until the end when he's like literally trying to get out and they're attacking him, then you start to notice the scars on their head. And, you know, I find it also fascinating that Rose gets killed technically by her grandfather. You know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, the man her grandfather took over his body, like when he has that moment of clarity, she trusts him because it's like, that's my granddad, and then he shoots her. Mm -hmm. You know? And I found that fascinating that their creation is what undoes the family in the end, you know? And when well, I think going
0: back to that idea of like your identity being consumed and your voice being taken away, like that, you know, ultimately the movie says that you can't, it can't be taken away. That like in the end, it's still inside these people who had been taken yes. over and it, it emerging is what gives them the power to reclaim. And
2: I, it. and I think what I love about the movie is I feel like what it, in a way, like you said, it says your voice is always inside you. And I think as a black person, The way I saw it, your voice will always come out and the true you when there's something worth fighting for. For Chris, he remembered his mom, you know? He remembered how he didn't, you know, how it it was hard for him to deal with that, but it helped him to realize what he needs to do is survive, you know, and to break out. And that's even why he kind of goes back for the lady when he thought he killed her, because Mm -hmm. he's thinking of his mom, you know? He's thinking, I don't want to ever be a part of and that. I think there's, there's her,
1: th- that there's you know? somebody <laughs> down in there that he needs to rescue, even though like you know,
2: yeah, even though it's like
1: the, the grandma's in there somewhere, but he's like, there's somebody else in there too that I need to to help rescue. Yeah,
2: me. and and that's what I love, and and in a way, it's kind of funny because I would get that in the church a lot. Oh, you don't sound black, you don't act black, you you're different, you know. And I, I always got offended because I was like, what is a black person? supposed to act and sound like to you. And it's not even, right. sadly, the white community that does that. A lot of people in the Black community do that themselves, too. And it te- it's kind of taught me, And as I've gotten older, we as a Black community are so down on ourselves sometimes, we don't even understand that your worth isn't how you dress or act or what you do. It's who you are as an individual person in the Black community, you know? And I think what made me pay attention way more... To black culture and that's why I started to delve more into the history of the church and if I wanted to be a part of it or not was having my son because when I had my son I started to think okay he's half black half white I'm gonna have to teach him part of our culture the black side but I also know that in society and life he might have to go through some of the things I went through and how do you prepare your child for that. You know, because I would never want him to go through what I went through when I went to the temple. You know, I wouldn't want my son to do that. But the reason I really did research in the church and decided it wasn't a fit for me was because I never want to have to tell my son that we have to be okay with people treating us as our race and culture that we weren't as important to receive a simple apology for the things that were done wrong to us. But also I would never have to explain to my son that your dad could have never been with your mom in heaven had we gotten married in the church no more than not even that long ago. And uh, that there are people in the church that still might think they're better than you just because your skin's dark and that you might be cursed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I never want to have to tell my son that I, I feel that the only thing I should ever tell my son about a church is they love you for who you are, love yourself for who you are and do your best to be a good person like Jesus Christ would, you know? Uh, So that was a big deal for me leaving the church. It was mainly my kids. I wanted to be an example for my kids to say, you don't always have to take it. Even if it's something you loved, like doing, if you feel in your heart and your gut that you deserve better as a human being and that people deserve to treat you better and no matter what other people think you have a right to walk away from something, you know? Uh, And I think that's why I like the movie get out so much is because Chris wasn't being treated like a human being. When he got to that house, he was being treated like cattle, like a deer, like you guys said, he was, Mm -hmm. he was an animal to them. He was something they could just take and do what they wanted to with.
0: I keep thinking, this is the filmmaker part of me. I keep thinking of like Jordan Peele's sort of his experience and, and what it must have been like to lead oh, him to yes. write this movie. And I feel like Hollywood is, is really good at like putting you in a box so they can market you and make money off of you. And yep. I feel like when, when they find a way to like, oh, like you've, you've tapped into your voice and your identity, like we can use your black identity to now make money off of you. Like that's when they get really excited about diversity in in Hollywood. And I feel like some of that has got to be legitimate. They want, you know, there are people who want to champion voices that are, have been, you know, um, haven't been heard as much as they should be. But I'm, you know, there's the people who make, think of the way they can make money off of it. And that's what drives Hollywood. And I feel like in the church, I feel like it's, it's similar. It's not necessarily money, but it's like, I feel like a lot of, you know that that feeling you know, a lot of what we've been talking about of like you know oh we're excited about this this person who's joined the church they're black and therefore they've joined the church which means we're not racist anymore which means like we can now show you off to people to say look how not racist we are and and then other people will join the church and be more excited about us
1: and and we, can feel, is... and we can feel more better about the problematic <laughs> history right right you know I'll, I'll feel more better about that if we have more black people around in the church yeah
2: and in their it's, way, they're like, we're apologizing by bringing more black people into the church. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I wanted to
1: talk about that a little bit, just like for clarity for our listeners. Um, so, you know, there's all this problematic history of the church and the church has tried to address some of that, especially with yeah. that essay that they came out with. And we'll put a link to that in our episode description. Um, read the essay but,
2: people it is a good essay
1: <laughs> and and i loved that when i came, when it came out cuz i was still <laughs> believing in the church and i was like oh man the church is starting to like you know have a a reckoning with some of the issues that there is because that was at a point where i was aware of many of the issues and like you know starting to struggle and learn about stuff and i'm like oh like this is a really cool this is a really good sign and so i loved that essay when it came out it's a
2: very bold essay to be honest um,
1: but the huge, like, missing piece of that is there's no apology or, like, yes, <laughs> responsibility taken for what has been done in the past, and and like you know they they've disavowed the theory that you know black people were less valiant in the pre-existence, and they they've said like all those things are just like conjectures that aren't true, even though they may have been taught in the past. Um, yeah, lots
0: of people have been thrown under the bus. Yeah, but in order nobody, to make it look better now, but yeah, but there's still I, like no like there's apology.
1: there's still that big missing piece, and there was uh, I don't know if you remember this, Nick, and I don't know if you're aware of it, Robert, but a few years ago there was a prominent like ex Mormon blogger who uh, who created a fake website and created <laughs> a fake apology letter. Did y'all mm-hmm. hear? Do you remember hearing about? I that? remember yeah, that yeah. actually. And, and he created like this website to make it look exactly like the church newsroom website and like wrote out a very official sounding letter, like, and signed it from the, this was like a prank, you know, like a big hoax Yeah. um, and signed it as if it were from the first presidency of the church. And it said like all the right things and all the right apologies of what you'd expect. And, and it caused a huge stir, like within the black community and the church, like there were so many and, like, I, I, you know, heard interviews of this. I don't know this personally, but just hearing people's reactions to it, that there's, like, you know, Black members of the church who are, like, crying. And, like, finally, like, it felt like a huge burden had been lifted from them. Oh, yeah. Um. And, like, and then when they realized that it wasn't real, that was just a prank, like, how crushing right. that was. And, like, later on, the the guy who wrote it and made it, like, you know i think he apologized for saying like he didn't realize how you know
2: intense that was gonna intense be. it yeah.
1: was gonna be but also <laughs> like you know kind of standing by his point of like look how much this would affect yeah how needed you know, look it look look how far this went for black members of the church how needed it is yeah
2: well yeah because every black member i talked to because when i was choosing to leave i i struggled because i wanted to say you know like when you're in the church especially because if you guys were born and raised in it, you would know better than me or most people. But when you're in it, it it's not like you just want to leave to be like, I want to leave, don't do what I want to do all of a sudden. It's like, there are things that you either stop having faith in or something that makes you say, I can't do this anymore, you know? And for me, the black stuff is just too much, you know? And the fact like, that, and that's what I said to my bishop. I was like, a simple apology can change the world for people, you know? <laughs> like, you know, all, all I'm saying is, like you said, that fake apology made so many black people happy. And when I talked to members that were in the church, I asked them all the same question. I reached out to like seven guys. And I said, given the stuff that you know about the church and black people and the priesthood, how do you stay? You know? (laughs) Um, and their answers were simple. If, if they, the ones that said they stay, they said, my marriage and my kids, (laughs) you know, some said, I don't know what else I would do, where else I would go because I, you know, believed in this so long. I don't know if I could believe in any other religion. Um, and some people said, you know, they just stay because it's habit. And then some people said it's good for them. You know, they struggle with things, church helps them through it. And I was fine with all that, but it was interesting to, for some of them to kind of be like, well, if I didn't have this situation going on over here, I probably wouldn't have stayed, you know, I would have left when I found out, but you know, and my other thing to them was, do you think the church should apologize? And everybody said yes, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, the one, one of them was a bishop. So he said they should, but if they don't, I'll have to have my faith that one day it'll be corrected later, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's the thing the church should understand is talking about it can change lives, you know, even if I never went back to the church, I would respect them on such a level. And I think that the church owes it to the black community and Native Americans, anybody with dark skin Because sometimes I think dark skin goes way beyond Just black people, you know But I feel like to Anybody with dark skin, they owe it to come Out and just say, hey This was the past Everybody has A dark past, you know, Catholics, everybody They they all, religion can be Dark, no matter which one you pick Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But we're Sorry, and we want to Apologize to this group specifically You know, yeah I think it can make all the difference in the world.
0: Absolutely. The church should apologize about all this. And it should be the slam dunk sort of thing that like doing a, like a, a sincere apology like we've been talking about would, would win so many hearts and minds to sort of look past the stuff that they don't want people looking at. But yeah. to to apologize would be to admit some sort of fault. And I feel like exactly. even just recently like, the church's statements about the, about vaccine, the COVID vaccine and wearing masks and like divided members who I never thought would speak ill of the prophet suddenly saying <laughs> how lost he is by, by recommending basic yeah. things. And so I just feel like, and that's about wearing masks and getting vaccine. Um, The unfortunate oh, thing yeah. is that, yeah, like, you know, there's going to be any, anything venturing too close to, anything political and like you know someone's skin color i'm being sarcastic oh, yeah. here, but like it would be a <laughs> right. bombshell for them and in and, and there would be casualties and, and i feel like they're just scared to do that yeah uh, i even, agree there even uh, i heard a bunch of
1: members that were like offended and mad at the prophet when the first presidency issued a congratulations mes- message to joe oh, yeah, biden, joe after biden after won. Was, and and like people thought that that was like the church endorsing
0: which they, they congratulated but, like every modern but they, president. yeah
1: they, they do that to all the presidents when right. they get you know
2: that's what i was gonna so say they they congratulated
1: trump too <laughs> did yeah they, they, they do it to everybody <laughs> and so it's anyways
0: i mean i feel like one of the starkest thing i i served my mission in the south and so i served in some small georgia and florida towns <laughs> uh, and, and and so most of the, you know a lot of people that we taught were black and and we were you know that sort of liberal idea of like it was exciting when we were in wards and a member of the bishopric was black or a member of the high council was black or in the state presidency because it was like we can bring a a black investigator and they can see someone who looks like them and this is awesome and like that is it's othering people to think that way Um, and and it is is that sort of liberal white racism of like being excited which you know is not the right way to think about it but the other flip side was I, I just remember being in a, in a ward council meeting and we had brought a, a family of like five that was getting close to baptism. They were all black. And the Bishop just said to us point blank, he's like, I just don't know how I feel about black people joining the church. Like, I just, I wish you would stop bringing them. And, 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 and I was training a brand new missionary and he was from California and he's like, what just happened like he was like like you know this is not real and and it was real and i think that that's the sort of situation the church has to deal with is that like they by you know when they in 1978 like people did leave the church because now they thought it was lost because of the proclamation about race in the priesthood i think there are people who are holding on to those ideals unfortunately and and, and people so like, left
1: the church when they got rid of polygamy, you know, right. and that's how we got all these fundamentalist groups.
0: I just, wish, you know, the church, I just wish the church would say, we're g- those aren't the people we necessarily want. And like, let's do the right thing and apologize. And yeah, but
2: it's difficult because like you guys said, the church would be a minting fault if they apologized, And definitely right now there's so much going on, with racism and skin right. tones. And it's not even just in church, it's a society you know if you bring that up It's just gonna cause So much friction And and yeah it's scary But sometimes I'm like But if you don't do it then who else is gonna Take the stand right. you know Somebody yeah. eventually has to say I'm gonna stand up when nobody else will You know
1: <laughs> right. And
2: it's a scary thought because Usually that first person is saying Based on Martin Luther King and a lot of them You can get assassinated but Sometimes it's worth it for change You know yeah absolutely i love this conversation guys
0: i think we're good to wrap up that's it's been great talking to you robert yeah thank you it was great talking with you guys thanks so
2: much for having me on thank you so much i just talked over you
0: (laughs) (laughs) thanks for joining us post mormon at the movies yeah we'll talk to you guys later see
2: you next time all right be safe
0: all right bye
1: post mormon at the movies is on facebook twitter and instagram Follow us for regular updates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can download episodes as they become available. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at the movies next time.